Welcome to the Atheist of Florida YouTube channel. We are pleased to offer some of the most significant speakers and the profound issues of our times. If you like today's video, please hit the like button. If you have already subscribed, thank you. If not, you know what to do. So I'm Dennis Augustine. And aside from being a part-time comedian, which I'm not, that belongs to Jim, apparently. Um, I, I, as, as Judy mentioned, I'm a tech entrepreneur. I've been doing technology for about 22 years. Um, I, despite my youthful appearance, I'm 52 years old. So I've been when I left the ministry um, way back when I, I, the only other thing I knew how to do was a little bit of computer thing stuff. So, you know, it was, it was just how I, I got into desktop publishing is what they called it back then. And I, Somebody said, you know, well, you've been doing a good job on the banners, Dennis. Would you think you can, um, you know, do the styling for the website? And I, of course, I could not. But, you know, wanting the job, I just, sure, I'll figure it out. And I just kept um, saying yes to things until I talked myself into becoming a software developer. And um, because I needed to eat, <laughs> I needed to eat. And, you know, I didn't have any other marketable skills as many uh, people who leave the ministry, uh, maybe, you know, sometimes find out that they, or actually I should say that they think they don't have other marketable skills because I discovered that I had many, many others with regards to team leadership, which led me into my technology career and then founding now my third business. Um, so that's what I was, uh, you know, I was doing and, um, but I want to, you know, I'm not here to talk about, I am here to talk about myself a little bit, actually, I should say I am, um, because I want to introduce a little bit about with you today about how I've been approaching life um, lately and how it's very much with how uh, different from how I approached life um, for most of my life. For most of those, uh, for most of my years, I would say probably up until 2010, 2011-ish. Can you hear me, Jim? You've just, okay, okay, good. Because my Jim was looking kind of curious. I, I just wanted to make sure, okay. Um, so yeah, up until recently, I've really been living my life, I'd like to think outside in. And I want to share with you how I've kind of changed my approach to life um, from one that is outside in to one that is inside out. Well, I think that it's a really great thing for us to think about as we think about how we will live together in the world um, as a society. Um, I think it's a great approach for us as a society, but also a great approach for each and every one of us individually. And I, um, so, you know, having, you know, just gone through all of these things, I, I just want to share a little bit about what I've, I've, what I've learned in my own approach. So as Judy mentioned, um, you know, I left the ministry and then, you know, since become uh, aligned with West Hill United Church, which some of you may have, may hear about if you look up a lady called Greta Vosper, who is the minister there. She is an atheist United Church minister um, and who just recently actually survived a um, heresy trial by the United Church to get her out of that position. Um, but her church stood by her. She came out as an atheist and has um, since continued her 
service there, but talking about things from a different perspective, not one from a religious perspective, but one from one based on values, the interconnectedness of life. And that is a core principle of one of the things that I want to kind of um, bring across tonight. So I'll shout out Greta as I begin this, and also the Clergy Project. So I'm a board member of the Clergy Project, or TCP. It is an organization that is now I think about 1,200 or 1,500 um, members strong. It is, um, the members are a, it's a private community. Um, and the reason for that being very much security because the members of the TCP project are past and current clergy who no longer have supernatural beliefs. And uh, when I left the ministry um, many years ago, uh, for a big, good period of time, I wandered in the wilderness, so to speak, and um, really was trying to find my way out of faith into some other kind of thing to wrap my life around. And the people at the clergy project were there for me as a former minister. So I joined that and I've been serving there for um, a number of years on the board and um, helping in the tech committee there as well. So that's, so that's really my background um, in terms of uh, what I'm doing today. But let me just roll back the tape a little bit and. Uh, if I will tell you a little bit about a story about how I got into the ministry uh, and how I got, in, got to be a minister and uh, about my family and so forth. I'm trying to just reorganize my screens a little bit here so I can see you and work these things as well. There we go. All good? My, I'm, I'm still perfectly visible. There you go. Thank you, Jim, for the acknowledgement. Uh, so uh, years ago, many years ago, um, I made a trip back to Dominica. Um, it's the place where I was born. Um, as a young man, I, 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 I grew up there and we came to Canada where I'm presently I'm in Toronto, Canada, when I was about five years old. Um, and uh, through a series of events, I had joined, the, I become a minister in my 19, was about 19. Ministry is a bit of, a, of the family business. Uh, my mother is a minister in Dominica. That's the place we were born. She lives in this village, Maho. And you see that image right there. Um, she cares for poor people. She's in love with poor people. I think my mother is one of the kindest people on earth. Um, the ministry is a family business. My mom's a minister. My sister went to the same seminary I did. My father was a minister as well. And I followed him into the ministry because it seemed like the most important thing in the world to do. Some years ago, I went back to visit my mom in Maho, this village that you see on the, on the screen. I was thirsty and there was no beer or anything good to drink in the uh, in the parsonage, because my folks just did not drink. That was not a thing you did as a Pentecostal conservative, especially at that time. Uh, so I went down to a corner store, you know, around the village and and ordered a Kubali beer. That's this thing here. When I went to the, to the enter the store, the lady um, at the counter looks at me and says, you, you're, you're, you're a preacher's son, hey, aren't you? Um, and I, and I am, so my, they used to call my dad preacher. 
he's that's really what he they they knew of him he was he was the kind of guy who um visited them when they were in jail he was a minister in, in that small slum um visited them in jail he took care of you know drove them to work he hired some people employed folks in the village but he was more than a minister he was their friend um and he looks she looks at me and she says you know you're a preacher's son i can see that she looks, i i kind of look a little bit like my dad when i had grown a beard or this is me with a beard when i went down there so she recognized me when i was a teenager i used to kind of hate you like almost all teenagers being compared to my parents because you know you're a bit of a rebel but you know as i grew and then finally entered the ministry um and all of that i got to love to be compared to him uh the thing that she said after recognizing my me and that i was you know this man's son was what i think is the probably the greatest compliment i've ever heard somebody say to somebody else at least that's what i thought at the time she said you know your dad he loved us so much and when I heard those words again, I realized that is actually why I got into faith and ministry and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, because of my mom, again, the most kind, loving person you'd ever want to meet because of my dad and all that he gave for people's lives. And I saw that and I thought, you know, what else do you want to be but this? That was the most important thing. I think one thing I wanted to, why, I dwell on this um, with this crowd. Um, when I left faith and the ministry, I got into the whole humanist and atheist movement. And I have often heard and, uh, and I've often myself felt, you know, that it's so crazy that people believe those things that they believe. You know, it's so crazy. Those people are, you know, it's the believers, they're, um, it's ridiculous to believe what they believe. It's insane. But I realize that it's not actually true. People do not enter faith because of rational reasons. They enter faith because they get loved into it. And I was loved into it. I was loved into faith. I was loved into the ministry. I saw the outpouring of love at my father's funeral. And it was, I was 19 years old is when he passed away. And I realized then that that was the most important thing for me to do on earth, right? That was what my life was all about. That was how we were raised. And it was very, um, you know, it was outside in. It was really all about putting other people first. That's what my mom has always done. It's what a lot of us do. But there's a bit of a problem with that. Um, I'm just going to skip forward a little bit in some of my slides. And I hope I just, I'm just going to wing some of this and really talk to you from my heart about uh, my story. This image is one of Abraham and his son Isaac, right? That's from the, the biblical stories. It's about the, the, the patriarch of, of Israel. And the story goes that God called on Isaac to sacrifice his son um, because that would show his faith. Um, in a way, that was the setup with my whole outside-in experience of faith and the way that, you know, my mom continues to live to this day. 
uh, pouring her life out for other people, for God, for the kingdom, for poor folks, for everybody else, right? And basically what happens then is you put yourself, you put your family, you put everything else on the altar, you sacrifice it for that greater good. And that was the thing really that was, I think, a little bit twisted about how I used to live. Um, when I got into, um, went to seminary, uh, you know, obviously after my father had passed and started to learn a little bit more about the scriptures and preparing to serve, you know, in the way that he did, uh, I had a, started to feel some of those tensions that people do as they learn a little bit more, if you would, about how, how the sausage is made. Um, you know, I started to understand a little bit about, you know, the muddiness of faith and all of those things. And I started to feel that tension. But more than that, I wanted some of the things that I had come to understand from my dad about the relationship with God that you should experience, that you should expect. Um, and there was a tension there because I would pray and I would try to believe. And I heard these incongruous things about how we got our, you know, the canon, how we got our doctrines. Um, you know, as a charismatic Christian, I would hear these things, you know, I, I, I recall um, in my final year of seminary writing a uh, paper about the charismata. The charismata is something in, in Pentecostal circles about how, you know, the speaking in tongues and all of those kinds of things that happen, right? Those are the charismata. And I wrote a paper, you know, saying it does not invalidate the charismata to say that they are equally spiritual experiences and social psychological experiences. And I had, you know, there was this <laughs> a, a really great professor that I had, um, Ronald Kidd, um, who gave me back a paper, the paper and he gave me an A plus and he said, Dennis, this is a great paper. And I think your fat father would be proud, but don't say any of these things when you go for your credentials exams, right? When you go to go and become, you know, a reverend, don't say this about that because that's a little bit of a gray area as far. And that kind of started to sit not quite right with me, you know? Um, but nonetheless, I mean, I really just wanted to, I believed and I wanted to have that experience with God. But year after year, just reaching out and struggling with things that I was starting to hear about in science and so forth, that tension became so much that at one point I just felt I couldn't go on. So I did not leave the ministry because I had some kind of epiphany that it's all, pardon me, BS. That was not why I left. It was not because some magic light turned on. I have to say because I was exhausted by trying to reach out to God, exhausted by just kind of pouring my life out for this thing and not hearing somebody else on the other side of the call. Um, I don't think I was a stupid man. I think my father was perhaps one of the most, the brightest people that I ever known. So it wasn't about those things, but um, the exhaustion of not hearing about God. And that really just crushed me. And I know that we, we as atheists, and I identify as an atheist and a humanist, like I said before, can 
um, make this very much an intellectual exercise, but I want to reemphasize again that it's not just about that and that the problems that we have today are not just about religion, by the way, because I'll say that, and I'll back up a little bit, this woman, my mother, there is nothing wrong in my mind with anything that she believes. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in the God that she believes in. But if you throw challenges at this woman, she will love you. She will work hard. She will feed children. She will do things that a lot of people should be doing. And I would call her a humanist and a damn good one, right? So there's something for us to really be understanding about that. First of all, I'm just gonna put that here because I'm in this, in this setting. Um, and I want you to understand that that outside-in problem is not just a problem about religion. The outside-in problem is one that can be about family as well, or relationships, or about politics, or about any ideology that you might have. Um, when I left faith, I turned to my family. Uh, I helped to raise these two nieces, these two beautiful um, kids. They are the, I left faith, I got out of faith, I didn't have anything to drape my life around. The center of my world had kind of gone. I wasn't sure I believed in God. I kind of did, I kind of didn't. I was exhausted from the ministry, but I just had to get out. So I quit. Um, I like to tell the story that I, you know, I, I quit and it was a Thursday and a Friday, I bought a bottle of scotch and a pack of smokes and I decided I was going to go to a bar. Yeah, I was saying that's really what I did. I did went to I would quit on a Thursday and I went to a bar on a Saturday and I was just was like I don't belong here either. It was a total mess, uh, and I was drifted for quite a while. Uh, but then I started. Um, my sister, uh, who's 19 years my junior, got pregnant with the first of these two children, uh, the one on the far whatever side of the screen it is, the far one, the the, the older one. Uh, Rachel, and then some five, four years later, uh, with the other one, Sophia, and um, uh, you know, I didn't really have anything else to matter in my life. Uh, I was adrift, looking for purpose, and I started. You know, I took her in, took the the nieces in, and uh, took my sister in, um, and helped to raise uh, Rachel, and then um, you know, some years later, S Sophia. Uh, a few months after Sophie was born, and in this picture, she's, uh, I think, probably around five, six months old. My sister, um, their mother, uh, took them back to Dominica, uh, where their father of their children was, and had a postpartum psychotic episode um, and killed both of the children. Uh, her name is Sarah, Sarah Lynn Augustine. You can search online about that situation. Um, but I had built the my new life around raising them and helping them. And that was a kind of the center of my life. They're actually uh, tatted on my, on my chest. I mean, both of those, these, these children. And when that happened, you know, I had, I, again, I mean, it, that was not a religion problem, but I had a, I had a messed up center. Everything about me was about just about them. And I got to say, it's not bad that you care about your family. But one thing that occurred to me was some years, you know, I, I, 
when when that happened, when Sarah murdered the nieces, um, we had uh, I had to turn my life over to. Um, we had all of a sudden a double murder trial to to deal with um, in Dominica, so in a foreign country, and um, just poured everything we had into that, um, into making sure that she was okay, into getting her repatriated from Dominica to Canada for treatment that she very badly needed. Um, and then some years after um, she started to get better, she uh, slowly, one by one, started to cut off her family, blaming each and every one of us in the family progressively for things that had happened in her life who had led to this situation. Uh, And when uh, one day I was focused, I was one of the last ones she cut off and she turned her back on, 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 on the brothers and the sisters, my mom. And I was one of the last people she was going to cut off. And I, I was talking to her saying, you know, how can you treat your mom this way? How can you treat our family this way? How can you uh, try to, you know, try to really like me, she was really kind of just, um, it was such a difficult time. I asked her, how can she treat our mom? How can you treat our family this way? And, and she looked at me and she said something very, that I'll never forget. She said, family, Dennis, is who you choose. And I, I understood that to be so true. Um, some time after that, I feel like sometimes, like, I feel like I'm telling the story of Job. <laughs> Um, this is uh, this Job. And I see Jim. I'm looking at the gallery view, so I saw Jim turn his head. And he's inquisitive. What Job is the guy in the Bible who uh, had a situation where God was trying him. God was putting him through a test, and he had let one bad thing after another happen to Job. So Job had a storm, and he lost his crops, and then you know his kids got killed, and then he got sick. Um, and so those were the trials of Job. And through it all, Job decided not to turn on God. And so, so mostly Job was the hero for this, right? Well, I was kind of going through my own trials of, of Dennis, of Job. Um, at this time, it was um, the drifting from leaving faith. It was the discovering that really, uh, even if you pour your life into your family, that that is not necessarily a stable place upon to build your life because even your family can turn upon you. Um, it was some years after that, that um, just a couple years after burying Rachel and, and Sophie, uh, having my marriage collapse, um, because after them, I had again turned to love. Love was going to be the thing that would save me. It was the only thing that was left. And so it was, you know, I uh, found myself a, a woman to marry and, uh, at that time, her father was ill and dying of cancer, and we poured ourselves into dealing with helping, helping him and um, into, their, into our marriage and into all of those things, only to have that collapse. And um, at some point around 2010, uh, sorry, rather 2011, 12, rather, I was just rubble. I was really rubble. Um, my marriage had just collapsed. Um, just buried the kids, I had no faith, and I was at my absolute lowest. And I had a, I was moving um, out of the place that I lived by myself, and I just had a mental breakdown. I spent a night in a hospital, 
Um, I was actually on antidepressants because of the kids and the marriage and, you know, it was mispres misprescribed those things perhaps a little bit too much. Um, they had to tweak that a little bit, but I ended up with a mental breakdown. I was in a hospital in North York General Hospital here in uh, the northern part of Toronto. And I realized that I had to reorient how I lived my life. Because all of this outside-in stuff that I had been doing was just not working for me, right? God was not going to be the center of my life and the religion. I could not necessarily count on family to be the center of my life, you know, not even love somebody's external um, validation of your life can really be a stable foundation upon which to live your life. And when I was there in that room by myself, I realized that I had to stop that. And I had to start from a different sort of a basis. So all of this is going back to like the basis for why I want to talk to you about changing your viewpoint from outside in to one that is inside out. All right. When you're living an outside in life, you, you know, outside in life is one that's based on a principle where, you know, your life, you, you know, Jim, Enrique, Amy, Marcos, you, your life um, is not the most important thing in an outside-in perspective. Um, in an outside-in perspective, you don't think for yourself, we'll tell you what's right and wrong, right? In an outside-in perspective, you put others before yourself, and there are absolutes, things that are most definitely right and most definitely wrong. That's an outside-in perspective. And like I said, that is not just religion. That is ideology of every kind. We see this right now happening and you're my neighbors to the South. I see it happening in stark contrast with regards to your political silos. There most definitely are absolutes and you should toe the party line. You should believe, if you are a Democrat, you should believe these things. If you are a Republican, you must believe these things. That's an outside-in perspective. There are absolutes, and I will tell you what you should believe. Um, in an outside-in perspective, things like country can come before the value of your life, right? Things like your religion or your marriage or that abusive spouse or that job that is sapping your soul comes before your life because you have responsibilities in an outside-in perspective. And that's going to lead to rubble, right? When I had that moment in that hospital bed uh, in North York all those years ago, I realized that my perspective had to change. I had to stop being outside-in because that is just not a natural way upon which to build any framework for a healthy life, right? You got to switch your perspective a little bit out. And I'm going to say that it's a good perspective for us to have individually, but if we would all do this collectively, we'd also be much better off. Rather to come back to earth and to live your life inside out, right? Um, when I had my breakdown, I was fortunate enough to be hooked up with a uh, therapist who believed in cognitive behavioral therapy. And he introduced me to this man, 
or that man. There you go, that guy. Marcus Aurelius. Uh, Marcus Aurelius uh, is a, he's been long dead, but he's got to be, he's got to be one of, the, one of the most truest brothers I ever met or never met. Um, and so uh, he's become actually one of probably, I think probably I would say that I choose him first. So I take one book, I'm taking meditations with me to, um, to the desert island. And he wrote that if you are distressed by anything external, the pain is not due to the thing itself, but to your estimate of it. And, and this you have the power to revoke at any moment. And that was just like, I don't, that was the beginning of a revolution in my mind. Um, I was sitting there in a, when I had that revelation that I had to start rebuilding my life all from the inside out, I was, uh, had just moved. So that, you know, remember the night I mentioned I had that nervous breakdown? I was moving out of a four bedroom townhouse by myself um, because my wife had left. My sisters, of course, were gone. Sarah had of course, murdered the nieces and the place that we live all lived in was not needed anymore. Um, and uh, there was nobody actually to help me. It was a four bedroom place, moving it out that night by myself on antidepressants. And um, I recognize, you know, I'm, by my, I'm on my own here. I moved that place the very next day when I got out of the, the hospital and I moved into an apartment in um, uptown Toronto. And I shut the door. And for the very first time in my life, I realized that I was alone, like properly alone. Um, I'm a grown ass man. Forget my, forget my mind. I'm a grown ass man, 40 some odd years old. And I have never felt that I've been alone, never understood that I had a private thought, like fully accepted it. Um, and that was just such, when I got in touch with the therapist who introduced me to Aurelius and to um, the Stoic thinking and the realization that if I start to reorient my life from the inside out, I have the power at any moment to revoke, to revoke, right? What the world is trying to put inside of me because I start from the inside out. It doesn't go outside in, it starts inside out. Right. So that means that if I have control over my mind, I get to revoke whatever the world is trying to do to me if I can master that. And that was revolutionary for me. So what is um, what are the you know, the big questions, if you were trying to rebuild your life, you get dropped onto an alien planet and you're starting all over again, like I was in that apartment, you have to ask yourself a few questions. Where am I? Okay, you opened your eyes in, in, in the world. Um, like I felt like I was reborn that evening. Where am I? What's going on? Who am I? What should I do? These are the big questions you have to address when you're rebuilding your life. And the things that really help us to figure that out are the things that come with an inside out perspective. And there are some principles I wanna share with you that I've kind of rebuilt my life around. Um, I'm going to speed through some of this, and we're going to have a, leave a little bit more time for discussion questions. Uh, some more basics around how we kind of, I've built my inside-out perspective, and I just humbly share this with you. I think there's some principles. One is that you got to understand that the thing that's important in life is life, right? Because if something is not good for something, 
then it's good for nothing, right? And I'll say that that something that it has to be good for is something alive, right? Because rocks are not part of the ethical equation, right? So when we're talking about ethics and how we should live, because that's what ethics is, is how we should live in the world, then we got to be talking about things that are living. And so therefore, that the first principle I think we should all be able to agree on is that life is important, right? So an inside-out perspective is grounded in life, grounded specifically in my life, by the way. Because if mine doesn't matter, neither is yours, right? So that's how that goes. So an inside-out perspective is grounded in life. If I'm going to answer the question, where am I? I got it and what's going on. I need really good tools in which to do that. Um, so an inside-out perspective is one that's based on science. It's one that really helps me to understand what the hell is going on around here. I understood that I couldn't trust myself or anybody else for that matter to tell me what was going on because I was 40 years old when I discovered everything I understood about the universe was wrong like everything right so how are you going to build uh, an inside out but you have to have something on but want to wish to, to base it on and, and thankfully we have the greatest achievement of humankind is science and an inside out perspective is grounded in science an inside-out perspective is not one that is selfish, though. I got to tell you, I want to tell you that my new ethics, in my new ethics, and I can say this this way, and my mother would gasp when she sees this recording, I'm sure. I'll say it this way, because um, my mother still is a minister and tries to you know, reconvert me every time. But in my new universe, the one who decides what's right and wrong is this guy right here. This guy, right? And I would submit to you that that actually is a really good attitude for everybody to have, right? Why? When I say start with my life and my, the importance of my life, why is that not a selfish thing? Should everybody just do whatever they think is best for them? Like just do, just be selfish, you know, greed is good, all that kind of stuff. No, I'm not saying that. Don't say that at all. Because if you understand science, you also understand that none of us just dropped here out of nowhere. Everything in life, every living thing is interconnected, right? All of us have a single common ancestor, after all. That means I'm related to the worms and the monkeys and the banana and Jim <laughs> and Enrique. I can pick on Jim because I keep smiling at me. Yeah. Um, and thanks, man. Uh, you know, I'm relate, related to all of you. And I know this as a fact, right? So all of life is interconnected. So if I start with saying my life is the most important thing in the universe, I am not by any, by any means diminishing yours. The other part of this that really makes this a great perspective for people to more build their lives upon is that we also understand through science that Every viewpoint is relative, right? Einstein taught us that there is no proof. There are no privileged viewpoints. If you understand the theories of relativity, and you must be one of the only few people who do, but if you understand a little bit about the theories of relativity, relativity you'll understand that there are no privileged viewpoints in 
the universe. Everything is relative to another in terms of its viewpoint in motion. That same thing applies, might I say, ethically speaking. If I am the most important person in the world and consciousness means that you know my consciousness, my relative experience is just as unique as God's if he exists, right? He can only know what he knows from where he stands and he's not standing right here. So if every, if every perspective is unique, then there's two things that are, very, that are very true at the same time. One is that your viewpoint is just as privileged as mine. And it's also true that you're not so special. So those two things are very true at the same time and not contradictory. You are extraordinarily unique and your viewpoint is as valid as anybody else's, but get over yourself, you ain't special. And if we can acknowledge both of those two things, then I think we have a really great basis upon to which to build an inside out viewpoint, an inside out way of living that is a lot more healthy and holistic. I, I'm going to turn off these slides just for a second and just kind of talk to you. Give me a moment to adjust. There we go. Uh, so, I mean, how has it worked out for me so far? Um, I think, you know, I got to say that uh, I'm now 52 years old and um, I lived the majority of my life outside in, you know, having ideologies and family and relationships and even love be the center of my life. Uh, but I got to say that, you know, finally over these last 2012, 2013, uh, over these last eight years, nine years, and a lot of that has to do with this lovely lady I met around that same time too, helping me change my life. But um, rebuilding from the inside out, I started to get a lot more comfortable with just, you know, the things that Dennis wants and realizing that those are totally valid and important because if I'm at the center of the ethical universe, what I want is totally cool. As long as it's not hurting you, you know? Another good thing about understanding that you start with yourself is that you understand how to mind your own business, right? If things are not bothering you, somebody, if, if something somebody else is doing is not bothering you, mind your own business. It lets you live and let other people live, um, you know? Uh, so it lets me appreciate the things that I want to enjoy in, in the world without thinking I should be doing this or that because somebody else told me I should. It lets me appreciate what you want because I know that the things that you want are just as important as the ones that I want because I'm not that special. I'm special because I'm one of you guys, one of these thinking people. Um, that's why we're special. And I think that if we just kind of get centered around those things and start to, first of all, you know, um, Hey, it's going to sound a little kumbaya-ish and funny, but, you know, like, love yourself. Start loving yourself, understanding that you are the center of the ethical universe, right? Start understanding that each of those other people who feel that way and are interconnected with you, you have a responsibility to them, too, because you better, that's the only way we're going to get through this is together, right? Um, 
it also has helped me understand, you know, and I, one of the things I struggled with so deeply when I left faith was the concept of death. I used, I was expecting eternal life. And when I understood there was no eternal life, I felt honestly kind of ripped off, right? Kind of angry. Um, but understanding now that I am part of an interconnected web of life that has been going on for billions of years, that I'm only here because things lived and died and ate other things. And that years from now, the atoms that are in me are going to be part of some other living people. It's just like, it's awesome honestly and it's helped me just let go of that as well um so i think there's so much power in just changing that perspective we can talk about any ideology that you you have anything that you want in your life is totally cool but get the direction of it correct right you want to dance make your life about dance be about that okay but let it start with you and go inside out don't let it go outside in because that will crush you. Inside out is the thing that's going to help and sustain you and I hope it will sustain all of us as well. Uh, we've got about, uh, I think on the clock, nine minutes. I'm like, I'm just been going on and on. You let a preacher preach, he's going to do that. <laughs> no, we don't have 30, so you have. Oh, very nice. Time. So that's perfect, actually. I want to take, I want to take, I want to take time to talk to people as long as so you like, have time so i like talking to people okay let's let's talk to people okay about my my ramblings well jim <laughs> has the first question then if you're ready to talk to people now oh yeah i'm not going to look at i'm not looking at the the chat you're going to tell me about it i'll just look at yes people. go ahead jim all righty then well now that's quite a quite a bit of insight there and i think it's very useful to talk about uh the uh, the outside in life as opposed to the inside out life but part of it strikes me of the um of the uh inside out life is a recognition of the outside in life it's part of the world that we're born into that we discover that may that is actually also part of ourself and um, ourself in my view, at least, is largely a composition of the lives of other people. In other words, who I am is a collection of various contributions from everybody and uh, I've ever known and every institution, educational uh, school or whatever that I've encountered. And, and I think yes. uh, what, what, what you have told us about is uh, is an excellent uh, instruction and uh, and in particular the recommendation of Marcus Aurelius and I presume that was the consolation of philosophy that influenced you and uh, that's that's a good recommendation along with perhaps Epicurus and Socrates but you know there are a lot of there are a lot of good things that have been part of the human past that actually uh, resonate with us now but most of us don't even know it. Oh, I think? mean, so, so true, Jim. I mean, there is no me without you, right? There is not. I do not exist. There's no you without me. The reason that why we are all here 
is because we are part of an unbreaking, unbroken, continuous chain of life that got us here. Um, the language that I speak is one that has meaning because of the words that we agree on. I can't even have a coherent thought without the language that you gave me. And the language that you gave me is rife with meaning. It comes with meaning all packaged into it. I can't, I can't even think for myself. You tell you think for yourself, but you can't think for yourself if you start to really think about it. Um, so you're absolutely right. We are, in, we are hopelessly intertwined and interconnected. Mm -hmm. And so understanding, when I took the time to really start to unpack what is in me, you start to peel the layers of the onion off, right? Layer after layer, trying to get to the core and you realize it's just layers all the way down. <laughs> it, well, the it, thing is that, that um, it, it's very difficult to have an original thought, as you said, because all the words have been used already. But nevertheless, if you shake up the can enough, you will you'll get eventually- a, You'll get a, you'll get a good combination. You'll get a good combination, right? That's, that's the right. Whole, it's, it's not about anything that's totally new. It's about interesting combinations thereof. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of which I happen to be one interesting combination of atoms that have been around for billions of years. And so, yeah, there is nothing new, but there are some rather interesting combinations of it, of which we have about 15 of them on this lovely call right now. Speaking so. of interesting combinations, Jim Young here is aching. Yes. To yes, Jim. I see you with your hand up, Jim. <laughs> uh, just wanted to say I enjoyed your... Uh, presentation, there are a number of people in this group who have, uh, I will say, abandoned religious faith so that we can empathize with the uh, trauma, I will characterize it as trauma, of being faced with the unpleasant task of having to accept that what we believe uh, with all our heart was bullshit <laughs> and that we were going to have to do some major shakeup and start all over again. Yeah. So I really appreciate you sharing that. I'm sorry, uh, I, I feel for you and your trials and tribulations with your family. But one of the things that I wanted to uh, reach out to you was that I would like to be able to engage in a conversation with you one-on-one -on -one by way of email uh, because there are a number of things that I would like to discuss with you. And I, I didn't see your email address at all in the uh, meeting notice. So if there is a way that I can get your email address, I would like to do that because I would like to uh, discuss a lot of the perspectives, the philosophical perspectives that you uh, now have. Absolutely. So I'm going to put in the chat. Uh, I'm going to put in in the chat. Um, org. I'm just typing it wrong. My email at the clergy project so it's d augustine at clergyproject.org 
anybody is welcome to to email me there um, about these sorts of things, and yeah, we can we can have some dialogue. And and the and one of the things that I wanted to address this uh, approach that you are taking with the inside to out or outside to in, it's a quite a new discussion from where I'm sitting. I never mm. uh, have really looked at uh, my life in those terms. And so there seems to be some confusion from my perspective, how I would characterize myself or, or in my relationship with the outside world. Mm. Um, but th that's one of the things I'd like to talk about. It's a very interesting sure. topic. And I'm, I'm something of a uh, I'm very philosophical and I ethics are extremely important to me. Uh, I, I feel that we uh, are responsible for uh, our actions and what we do with our lives. And uh, we have a responsibility to the world in which we live and to the other people and other living things in it. Uh, and we're not meeting that responsibility. So yeah, there's lots to talk about. Oh, yeah. No, I, th I think that actually that it is the topic of our time that um, we are at a bit of a watershed. I know that every generation thinks that there's is very special. But I do see that we are not only at a you know, we're, we're, we're at one where polarization is at an all-time high, right? Uh, we used to have, like, when, you know, when we're talking about media, you, media used to be very much right across the country, you know? Like, everybody watched The Honeymooners. It didn't matter whether you were conservative or not. Who knew what that was, really? That wasn't really much of a thing, um, uh, you know, at that time. But we are now in a place where, you know, People live in entire information universes that are different from others, right? Like my mom, who, like I said, is a, I think call her a humanist. Uh, and I call her, I say, one of the best people on earth, lives in the conservative Christian information universe. And so while I was shocked that my mom actually thought that um, getting a vaccine might inject her with microchips, I should not be shocked about that because she lives in an information universe where this not stupid woman has this information and believes these things because it's, or suspects these things because that's part of the package. And so I think that we need to develop some way right now at this very critical time. And you know, we're dealing with climate change. We're dealing with some very important issues that need to be solved now or we're screwed right? Um, and we are so far apart that unless we find some common ground upon which to have conversations, we're going to be in very serious trouble. And so understanding the interconnectedness of, of life and understanding that we have responsibilities to each other and to other living things, right? Uh, and to other intelligent living things of which we might be one of the few in the universe, by the way, you know, um, we have a responsibility to take care of this thing that we have, intelligent life. 
Amy, I see you unmuted. Did you have a question or a comment? Yeah, I did. Actually, was is anybody else ahead of me? I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um, uh, Dennis, thank you very much for your your story, and and my heart goes out to your um, uh, tragedies. Um, I kind of envy you in your um, attitude towards your mom and your family, because I look at, um, while my parents are both gone now, um, is that they were abusers in a way, um, that they taught me this is true, this is right, this is everything, and it was lies, okay, and um, well, I realized they were just doing what they thought was right. It doesn't make it right, okay? Um, there are a lot of people out there who do, you know, even worse than that, thinking they're right. Um, how is it that you got there? How did you get there to that point? Or did you ever have any kind of animosity towards your religious upbringing? And oh, yeah, all kinds, all yeah. kinds. I had some... I had some serious animosity towards it. As a matter of fact, it was probably so. You when you when you go through the trans, I went through a. I, if I had to draw a faith curve, right? So it was kind of okay, kid, very high because everything mom and dad says is true. Okay, that's was faith way up here. Um, gradually, as you become teenager and you go to high school, it's kind of like this, and you know, and it's ah, and they're adults, so they're very not cool. So everything they say is bullshit. And then, you know, dad dies and, oh my God, everybody is telling me that this was the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, this man was just so wonderful and I knew how wonderful he was and everything they told me about him being so great was stuff I knew, you know, if my father said he was going to do something, you better set your watch by it. Reliable, smart, caring one of the best, but he believed all of that stuff. And that's why I went into it. Um, so when he died, you know, the call of call of God in my life, this is what I must do. And then you start to go through some of that other stuff and I kind of deconstruct. So it was very, the, the, the trailing end was very slow and painful for me. Um, but at some point I got to the point where I said, okay, you know what? I was just around 2012, 11, 2012. And I was joined the, the, the clergy project i said i'm an atheist it was just the easiest way to kind of, actually it was yeah it was right around then i i'd gone from you know god is a person who's telling me what to do to god is kind of more of a principle to some point where god is love and then when my the marriage fell apart and all of that kind of stuff even love was bullshit so there's just no god i'm an atheist screw it god's not even love because love is just nonsense so I just got right there to, that's it, I'm an atheist. And when I decided I was an atheist, I was angry. I was a very angry atheist. And I was very well equipped as a, somebody who studied theology to give all of the right answers to all of those people who, who believed the nonsense that I used to preach. Um, so, you know, I was a very good anti-apologist until I realized that it never seemed to work. Like I would tell people about, you know, how I used to believe that stuff too. And I'd give them all the good reasons for why that was wrong. And not one of them said, you know what, Dennis, you're right. I'm going to quit church tomorrow. Not one, not, not never. Mm -hmm. um, 
And my mom kept trying to convert me back saying, you know, I was going to get back. And every I used to be so mad at her because I get on the phone with her and I'm trying to talk about how, she, how she is. And she's just telling me about Jesus. And, um, you know, it's like, Oh, it was so irritating. And, um, you know what, after a while, I just got like, after a while, I just, uh, I had to make a choice. It was just like, I, I can either like, just not, this woman is just, been doing this for her whole life she loves jesus she's not going to change dennis so now you have a choice right like i so i decided to do the translation in my head so every time because i look at my mom's life and she doesn't unlike some people that's why i say there's there's believers who are de facto humanists right my mother is a de facto humanist if you could be gay as you want to be gay if you walk into her church she's gonna she's gonna love you right? Even though she'll tell you homosexuality is wrong, right? She'll tell you that, but she's going to love, she's going to love you. She'll feed you. She'll take care of you. Um, so I decided to do the translation in my head. Every time my mom said, you know, I'm praying for you or God wants this for you. I just heard, I love you, son. And I care what happens to you because that's all she was really saying, right? Um, so I stopped doing that and I, I understood that people's heads are black boxes. You could call yourself whatever you want to call yourself, call yourself a progressive, right? But if I throw things at you and, you know, stomp on labor comes out of you, you're not a progressive. I don't care what's in your black box, right? Same thing. Like if I, if you, if I throw something at somebody and love comes back, um, acceptance comes back rational things you know then i can call them a humanist whether what's so i decided just to um forget about what she was saying and those words that were coming out of her mouth decided to understand that really she did love me and i, I decided to understand that my father was a, a good man who was mistaken about things um the stoics did help quite a bit uh, marcus aurelius um, and epicurus some of them would have would have told you that nobody does wrong knowingly and I think that's a very powerful principle for us to understand that people try to do the right things. They have bad information. Some people do not live in the privileged situation that you live in to have that proper information. I got out of the things that I got out by, by gradually meeting other people and getting exposed to things that change my viewpoints. But in the place where I was before, I could not have made the decisions that I did before. So. I think that we have to be gracious to other people and understand that as much as we can, but, and, but it also does not absolve them from doing wrong things. It does not. When I say that no man does the wrong things, right, does not do things wrong knowingly, that does not mean I will not lock your ass up if you are a murderer, right? It means that I know that for some twisted reason, you thought that you should do those things. I still do have to hold you responsible for those things. And like my sister, I don't have a relationship with my sister, Sarah, because it's not healthy for me to have a relationship with her. I might say that I understood that she did certain things because of her psychosis or because of those things, but it might not be healthy for me. And so sometimes it's just, that's what living inside out is all about. You know, I'm going to do things that are healthy for me. It does not mean that I have to have a relationship with you. If I'm able and strong enough to accept my mother, do the translation, then I will. 
Um, but if I, at a time when I was not, it would not be a wise thing. So, you know, I would say the same thing for you. Um, I think it was Amy who spoke that, you know, with your people who are still very religious or the ones who have gone back and who've, who've passed since, that um, perhaps at the time you did the right thing from an inside out perspective by pulling back from them. But when you can get yourself to a point where you can do the translation in your head and just kind of get that distance, um, I think an inside out perspective allows you to, you know, let them be themselves and just, uh, as long as they ain't hurting anybody, you know, let them be. Thank you, Amy. Um, Enrique has um, something you'd like to say. Hello. Um, well, I don't know. I'm just going to say a little bit about myself, I guess. I'm, I'm in San Antonio and I attended a lot of the, the meetups over here for, for atheist groups and free thinkers groups. Um, I mean, they've gone kind of quiet in the last few months and they become kind of inactive, but I've participated since 2007. Um, I grew up with no religion. And so I joined these groups. And so basically I'm, I'm meeting people who had religion and uh, they, they share a lot of the same experience that, that you've described and, and that I've heard other members here. So it's kind of like they're Christian atheists, Jewish atheists, Muslim atheists, Hindu atheists, because um, they say that I'm, I am lucky because uh, I guess I don't have this past, you know, bubbling up every now and then and uh, whatever trauma or emotion that they may associate with it. Um, sorry, I'm... I'm <laughs> it's okay, take your time. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I guess my situation is different. They're just saying I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. Um, I don't know, but I, but I did want to ask, uh, I guess, maybe a, a strange question, because first I'll say that I'm, I'm learning Christianity from atheists, <laughs> because even mm -hmm. though Christians tried, it's kind of like, I don't know, I was oblivious or I was immune or I just wasn't absorbing it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm hearing it from atheists a little bit better. But my, my strange question has to do with, with um, you know, because there's a story in Christianity where, and I'm going to say the character Jesus is, is in the tomb. And supposedly, I don't think it's an, an accepted story, but I think he became a giant, right? And then he mm. pushed the stone. And uh, I, I grew up, first I'm gonna, I'm gonna add, I grew up with Marvel comics. You know, <laughs> some, some people grew up with the Bible, I grew up with Marvel comics. And, and the characters, you know, they expressed a lot of morality and, you know, fighting for, you know, for something greater. Um, and <laughs> I don't know. But um, I guess I can't help but see Jesus as uh, Ant, -Man, you know, the character Ant Man, Giant Man from from the Avengers, okay. and uh, I don't know. Do you? Are there other stories? <laughs> I'm sorry about the strange question. Are there other oh, no, stories no, no, no. that might say something about you know Jesus's ability to control his size? Uh, no, I haven't heard that particular one. But I gotta say that you know there are all kinds of weird stuff uh you know and, and you could probably it might even be one of the apocryphal books who mentioned something of that nature but um there are so many varieties of those types of stories um different abilities and whatnot that uh that it is often yeah laughable and and and, and a lot of fun but um you know the one thing I have often 
thought, uh, especially during the period of time when I was very much angry at faith, that it would have been wonderful to have been raised without faith. Mm -hmm. And um, in the last, um, in the last, uh, you know, eight, nine years, as I've kind of just, um, honestly, and I know at 52, it's hard to say that you grew up in the last nine years. But as I've grown up over the last nine years, I've got to say that I actually retract that. So I do not regret anything, not a moment of my upbringing, um, even though I understand that all of it was based on something that was technically bullshit. Um, because I see that there's been so much instilled in me with regards to really loving people that came from my mother and father. Like my mother and father, when I talk about loving people, I mean, like they really love people. I mean, our whole lives, our family was for everybody else. And I think that that is a wonderful thing that we should cherish in people. There are a lot of believers out there who love people a great deal. They do it and they say they do it because God told them to. But after you do things for, for 30, 40, 50, 70 years, it just kind of becomes who you are. Um, so what if they say they, you know, my mother could not stop loving people if God told her to stop tomorrow. She couldn't, right? Because she just, it's just part of who she is at this point. And so I think there, are, there were things that, that came from that upbringing that have value that I think actually we should understand that it has value because it is evolutionarily what is called a good trick. Do you understand what I'm saying by a good trick? A good trick is those things that helps you to survive long enough so that you might evolve in evolution, right? Because without some of those things, you're dead. And before we had really proper organizing principles for our societies, uh, we had shaman and priests and those kinds of good tricks that kept us together and gave us a reason not to kill our neighbors because, you know, daddy will zap you before I could make all the laws and structures and stuff to kind of do those things. So there were a lot of things that came from faith. Um, that is a good trick from a societal perspective. And um, we, I think that actually as of late with the decline of religion, um, the ethical leaders in society have come from two categories from religion and from politics right and as soon as i say those things you'll understand that both of those people have failed us especially very dramatically over the last uh, few decades and so there's no longer ethical leadership de facto in society at all and so i think that there is i mean we have things like the american ethical union which i'll give them a shout out because there's people who are trying to do this, the thing that uh, we should be doing about having that. But I think that that is one of the things that uh, faith has given us. And I wish that more of us would talk about that we really should start, uh, start focusing on um, ethics more as a society and an ethics that's based upon a grounded, groundedness in life. Because whether you're a Muslim or Christian or an atheist or whatever you want to um, be, the thing that we can agree on is living is better than dying. Can we agree on that? Health is better than sickness. Yes. Wealth is better than poverty. So far, so good. Let's talk about how we can do more of that.
But I think that's that that's what we should have. These these are the conversations we need to have. And I think that you know that the one good thing that faith had given us was a form from which to talk about our shared ethics. Now it was an exclusionary form, so now we need inclusionary forms to do that, right? Which is uh, why I describe myself as an atheist, because de facto I don't believe in God, so therefore I'm an atheist. That's just kind of the definition of that thing. Um, but and a humanist, because I think actually that's the more laudable thing to be. Because you can be an atheist, not a humanist, and to me, you're still an asshole. Hey, absolutely. Right? Yes. I know some of those. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Not too. Uh, so, Andrea, um, uh, thank you, Enrique. Uh, um, Andrea, you had something you wanted to start to uh, contribute? Yes, thank you for your presentation. It hits right at home. Um, my, my passion is politics, and I tend to be liberal. Um, and my brother is a Republican, and he's right wing. He's not a crazy Republican. He's not QAnon. He's just middle class Republican. Um, he's financially stable. And his, we're, we're from, I'm from a Jewish background. And his whole thing is about Israel, that uh, Trump and the evangelicals support Israel. And he seems to not care about the, um, the morals or the ethics of Trump and the, and the far right, regardless of what they do. I know my brother is a good person, and I just can't understand why he's not concerned about this country and the character of the people in the government. Now, why does this bother me? I'm 72 years old. I probably haven't gotten much longer to, to go. So why? You say you have to look inward. So I'm having trouble, I guess, with that, looking inward, why this is so important to me, my side of the story. Hmm. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, Andrew, when you, um, Sometimes when we see things very clearly, like we believe that, you know, we see what is where, where people are making errors, um, it can be hard to sit back and just let them make certain errors, right? And I think that, you know, I, I, I struggled with that a lot with my sister, you know, just like I was saying, I was one of the last ones that she cut off. And, um, you know, it's hard to let that go and to let them make their mistakes. I think that's the sort of toughest thing, especially when they are family, right? That's the toughest thing because you feel like a responsibility towards them. But um, ultimately, everybody has to make their choices about, you know, how they orient their lives. I think that your brother, if he is in a, um, you know, in that circle of information, he has certain facts. He has different facts. Some alternative, call them facts. alternative facts exactly <laughs> exactly he might have alternative facts which you don't have but you know he might be making rational decisions based upon those alternative facts and i think that that's one of the dangers that we have but i think what's helpful in these things is if we can just pare those things back down to their essentials right you know just back down to okay let's just forget about whether they're israeli or palestinian let's just get more fundamental. Um, okay, they're, you know, I, well, if this, this, this is this Palestinian and this Israeli, 
had a mother who was Palestinian and Israeli, who had a mother who had a grandmother who, who was the same woman. And probably did. Many and, of them. and all of us, all of us are descended from the same African woman. Mm. All of us. That's a fact. That's a fact, right? So, so what? So that goes, um, what, what, what it goes down to is that, you know, if we can recognize that all of life is in, interconnected, if we can recognize that things like race and culture and nation are just extensions of family relationship, if we can understand that, that the only reason you are a Palestinian and, and I am an Israeli is because we lived apart long enough, then we should get back down to, if we're saying that family is important, then the Palestinian and the Israeli is my family. And if we say that life is important, what I should be talking about is how to preserve life. I really don't care about your politic, political issues. I don't really don't care about your history. Let's just agree on stopping killing each other first. And then we'll work out the rest. And I think that's what we got to get back to essentials with some of this, this these conversations. We could get, you know, get back to it. Is it better not to kill people? Okay, let's figure out how we can do that. Um, is really what we got to get back to some of these essentials. Um, so I think if I was questioning your brother, if I was you, I mean, just really getting back to, um, you know, hey, the Palestinians and the Israelis are are all relatives. I mean, it would be a good thing if they all got along, wouldn't it? Let's not try to, let's try to be on the side of life rather than on the side of any politi political ideology or national ideology or whatever. Let's try to be on the side of life because that is the pressing question of our age right now. Is that the wouldn't thing, get is how, well, it might not. I wouldn't and face might, him. Yeah, uh, that's you know what? Like, too, I, like that's I told a liberal you, point of view. It's a liberal point of view, and he's not going to accept yeah. that. Well, like I said, um, that proves to you the point that you know, religion is not the only religion, right? There's ideologies of all kinds that are just equally as irrational when you get down to the point because they are a social package, and at some point. Yeah. At some point, you have to accept the social package that somebody has, the information that they live in, and just decide what your relationship with them will be. Um, but I do think that if we, we should continue to have this conversation so that we can hopefully meet in the middle with people from this side and that side based upon the idea that it's better for us to live than for us to die. Thank you. That helps. Thank you, Amy. Uh, um, Amy. Andrea, sorry. Uh, Joe Reinhardt has something he would like to bring up. Uh, yes, just briefly, I thought you might uh, perhaps enlighten us or comment on the limitations of uh, imposing reality from the inside out as opposed to the outside in, because it seems to me the inability to identify those limitations is called mental illness. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. So um, you've heard of the... Uh, the cave analogy, you know, that we are all actually, we all live as it were in a cave. Um, I think it was a Socrates' cave, who's, who's, who's thank yeah. you, sir. So that cave, Plato's cave, thank you. So the cave is one where we are, we are literally, if you close your eyes, you cut off the light from the outside and your vision stops, right? You know why? Because you're on the inside here. You're this lump of gray matter that lives in here and everything that you see are images cast on the back of a cave. Your retinas, if you're looking at me on Zoom right now, that's, that's where that lives. Uh, and then it's, it's translated into stuff in your head. 
So everything that you have is a is is stuff that you process and you make up. It's a story you tell yourself about the world. Everything that you know is a story you told yourself. I want you to think about that for a second. None of it is real. It's a story about reality. And so if we understand that, we have to understand that our jobs as thinking people is to tell ourselves the stories that are most consistent, right? So insanity is not really just, insanity is when you tell yourself a story that's inconsistent. And I think that that's the point, Joe, that kind of um, bridges that gap. So when you live inside out, yes, it is centered on me and my experience, but I have to tell myself a story that is consistent with all of the things that I get from the outside. Because that I do not deny that there is an outside world, because I have to, that's how I got here. There must be an outside world because I'm here. I'm thinking, I, I, I did not come out of nowhere. I started some point. I came from somewhere. I came from all of you. Now I have to tell myself a story about the world that is consistent. And the only reliable way that I know about for me to do that is in one that is science-based, that is fact-based, that puts together all of the pieces so that they are cohesive. And that's really how we judge truth in logic. So when you're talking about logic as the basis of science, we judge truth and logic because it is logically consistent and coherent. It's the same thing we do when we do what's when we talk about scientific well, discoverities that they're consistent. It seems to me that um, it's a bit of really overthinking the problem. What's that? This entire um, idea of controlling uh, the uh, universe from the inside out uh, by way of your uh, brain power and whether or not you're connected to other people or whether you're not. Or, or whether you're real or whether you aren't, it really doesn't matter. As far as I'm concerned, my senses tell me everything that, that, that they tell me, and I have no other way of interpreting them, just like uh, I'm not a bat, I have no sonar power, for instance. Okay? Yes, of course. And so since I have no, no other way to interact with reality and the universe, and I accept it for what it is, and I don't dwell on whether or not uh, 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 it's insane or whether or how correct or incorrect it is i'm mm. satisfied with it because i've arrived at it after seven and a half decades and i know i can't control what i think about thoughts come and go i have no no choice in the matter but i can do this i can control what i whether or not i dwell on those particular on any particular thought yeah absolutely i think we're saying very much similar things um joe in that um if you certainly you cannot control those things, um, but I, and I do think it matters whether things are like real, because if you want to have, I know that sure. there are things, there are things that affect me. That, try try hmm. and control reality in the middle of a, ha a hailstorm in the middle of Texas. Well, that's an interesting <laughs> thing. So I, I've, I've realized in my life, right? So life is like an ocean and I am a surfer, okay? I don't fight the ocean, right? Because if you try to fight the ocean, it will destroy you, oh, yeah. right? So what I've realized about life is if I want to have certain results, I have to understand what the world is doing and align myself with it, right? Because when I fought it, it nearly destroyed me. And so it's very important for me to assimilate all of the feedback that I'm getting from the world and make sure that I understand it in a consistent fashion. 
and that I behave in a way that enables me to guide my surfboard so that I don't get crushed. And so I think that's really why, you know, it is rather a, a more consistent way of viewing um, the world. And um, I think, well, I just want to say that in my humble eight, nine years of using it, that it's been useful for me and certainly has allayed my my doubts and my fears about death oh. has made me has made me understand how I should run my business. I might, um, all of those I things. Rise above. I might go below. I'm going to ride with the tide and go with the flow. Go with Change. the flow. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Joe. We're almost out of time. Um, I don't know. Uh, sorry, I hope I didn't cut you off too soon, Joe. Um, if there's anything anybody else wants to bring up um, before we close, I, I, um, I did want to uh, bring up a couple of things, and that is that women are taught consistently uh, from childhood to live their life outside in and do what pleases everyone else and to take care of everyone. And it's a real struggle for women to accept that it's okay to not do that. So yeah. I can relate to what you're saying because yeah. it's been a struggle. And I think it is for most women uh, who are taught that. And you know what else that is? I think another thing that I've recently realized about that fact is it's, it's also a very good trick. So it's also evolutionarily why we are still here because there have been billions of years of mothers who would run and face lions to save children. And that has been why women are kind of geared that way. And I think, but it's empowering for us also to realize that it's a trick. <laughs> and don't you, don't you fall for it, uh, uh, Judy, Eileen, and the rest of the ladies here. Don't you fall for it, Amy. Don't you fall for it at all. Recognize that you are equally entitled to live your life inside out and that the rest of the world better align with the things that are important uh, for you and your happiness if... Uh, you know, because that's what uh, we need to do. I had a counselor once to remind me that on the airplane, they tell you to put on your mask first and then save other people. That's a good, that's, that's, that's exactly the rule. Yes, because yeah. you can't help anybody else unless you help yourself first. Amen to that. The other thing is going back to your comments about religion and the views of, uh, as we evolved, um, Living in small villages, I, I was just reading about the brain today, so this is why it's on my mind. We evolved to live in smaller groups of people than we currently live in, and a, an extended family. People had lots of relatives around them, so that it wasn't the nuclear family, which was developed in the 50s after World War II, is probably one of the most destructive things that ever happened to our species. Uh, in my opinion. So, uh, because before that, people lived in their community and yeah. they had lots of support and people had lots of ways to get, you can't meet, every child can't have their made, needs met by one person, that they, they need a community. The, it, there's, there's real wisdom in the, it takes a village. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yes. And by the way, not, not a nation. It takes a village, yes. right? Yeah, and that's really, that is, you're absolutely right. That is like, we, we, we uh, evolved that way for these small communal sort of support networks, right? Where 
you know the name of the person that you can call when your hut blows down. You know what I mean? You know their name. They care about you. They come in. That's really what works. Um, But we're more and more moving away from that. And you're right. We're doing it in in our ideological silos, but we're also then in the nuclear family structures. It's not as, quote, natural as we are. So I think we have to be very intentional right now about how we think about how we should construct our society for maximum benefit. Um, and for us to in, understand where some of these tricks come in. Um, and that's why we need to kind of like, you know, have a viewpoint that is based on science. So we understand the tricks that nature plays on us. Um, yeah. So be able to respond to them a little bit more effectively. Yeah. And the only last thing I have to say goes back to your letter <laughs> where you said that uh, the way to reach believers is to make them value themselves. We cannot make them value themselves. We can help them understand that they're valuable. Yes. But they have to learn to value themselves themselves. Yeah. We cannot make anybody do anything. That's probably, if I had to write it again, I'd make that edit. Yes, I'm sure. So, it's yeah. been a while since you wrote that letter. Yeah, it's been many years. Like, but you know what? It wasn't wasn't bad for something. No, when, when was that? Crazy. When was, was that crazy. written? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I didn't have the date on there. It just... Uh, it probably was around 2012. Probably. I bet you. That's probably was when I started to make that. It sounds like 2012, Dennis. Yeah. So yeah. I, I really want to thank you for this really inspiring and moving talk. And, and I do want to uh, give you my condolences. I know the pain never goes away with something like that. It's, yeah. it's there, it gets more tolerable. You can learn to cope with it in different ways. I, I got to tell you, it's gone away. Has it? Well, good Absolutely. For you. <laughs> it 100% has gone away. That's why. Because I, um, I got, I, 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 I learned the secret that, you know, nobody was out to get me, right? Oh, but yeah. it was nothing, it's nothing personal. And that, you know, there's a, um, happy is the man who knows the causes of things right and that is really what i've kind of just started to unpack how things happen and to understand them it's the same way i've honestly like i've unpacked a lot of things i am a uh, young black man who grew up in white affluent oakville in Mm. toronto so i had the privilege of growing up poor amongst rich people um and uh faced things that we would here in you know the great white north um but i've i've understanding how things work understanding how evolution and family relation leads to kind of group things and then racism and other things understanding how um you know psychology leads leads to this and that and my sister's psychosis you stop with the why me wow should it this is unfair and and then you start to understand, you know, well, life is brief. And, um, you know, so they had five years and maybe six months. But what do I have in the grand scheme of things? If I get 100, it's a blink. So why yeah. should I really be hung up about it? And I just let go of all of that. And I think I'm just been, uh, I don't know, I've been free and in my zone for the last eight, nine years. And so I hope something I've said has been useful to you and yes. so you can get in the same zone because I'm almost the happiest man on earth so I'm over it well wonderful Good. 
Um, I, I do appreciate, I, I hope that we can all come away with a deeper appreciation of how life on earth is connected because it's not, it's, it's everything is connected. Like you said at the beginning, yeah. we all came from the same beginnings. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And um, uh, just, it's been really interesting and fallen into a lot of what I've been reading lately. So lovely, lovely, lovely right. to meet all of you. Thank you so much. Uh, um, can I ask, ask a question here? Just one, uh, I have to take this opportunity uh, because back about uh, 40 years ago, uh, when we were in Tallahassee, we sent, there was a big uh, effort to send uh, books to Dominica. Mm. Did you ever receive a box of books when you were a kid? <laughs> well, I came when I, I I I came when I was five years old the first time. Oh, well, all right. All so right. I yeah, I left when I was five, and then I went back when I was thirteen. So I was back and forth a little bit. So I probably missed the books, <laughs> but on but on but on behalf of the kids who received some, because I would say thanks anyway. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Make you feel better know that they at least hope for yes. something. Absolutely. Um, and you supplied the opening of one of our more exhilarating evenings. Yes. Thank you so much. Lovely. I just want to say I was in the Republic of the Dominica in 1965 to quell a revolution. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I saw a lot well, of poverty there. Yes, but not the Republic. I am from the Commonwealth of Dominica. It's a oh, speck. Okay. It's, a different it's a speck. It's a speck next to Guadeloupe and Martinique. But ah. uh, okay. Yes. I don't know. Quelling revolutions, it depends which one it was. I like some of the revolutions. So I'm not sure. Depends. I, I won't comment on that one. Well, I didn't shoot anybody, so. Oh, that's okay. okay, well. I had to hear that. <laughs> that's a good, that's, that's, you got that going for you. All right. Well, okay. thanks. Okay. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah, thank, thank you all very much. Thanks. And thanks. next week, we'll be talking about street epistemology. Ooh. Yay. All right. <laughs> We'll see all right. Take Thank care, you so y'all. Thank you. We'll be happy. Bye. Bye. Good night, everybody. Good night. Um, hey, Judy, if there's a link later, maybe you can, can you send it to me? Oh, absolutely. Nice I will morning. send it to you. If you okay. find anything you want changed in, in the video uh, or a podcast, let me know. Um, okay. I will fix it. Um, but yeah, I'll absolutely, I'll send you the link when it's up. It okay, lovely. Monday or Tuesday, depending on how energetic I get. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, take your time. No rush. Okay. All right. Take care. Thank Pleasure. You. Thank you so much. Bye. If you are pleased with our programs, please tap the like button and then subscribe to our channel. Don't forget the bell so you don't miss any notices of new material. We usually post new content every week. See our created playlists to discover events thus far this year, or to see a list of topics and speakers from our rapidly growing and diverse collection since 1992.